This is Match Week. You are joined by myself, Artie Amini. We discuss everything soccer from the highs and the lows in the sporting week to the news that is relevant to you. are looking and wondering you're not in the studio i know guys i apologize the studio is closed for a little while because of thanksgiving people are going back home you know it's gonna be a little bit difficult so we had to go over onto discord and record the episode today and today i'm joined by two very hmm how would i describe them uh are they eh, no they are special in my heart no they're they're special guests but in my heart you know just like just like you know the boys from last week but anywho, I am joined by now Hazir. Now say what's up. What's up, everyone? And I'm also joined by Yuli Krasnichi. Yuli, how we doing? Good, good. Pleasure to be here. Perfect. Now good at <laughs> good dice. Now, guys, today we are discussing club structures and exactly how it works within the world of soccer, right? Because a lot of times we hear about complaints of how clubs are ran, maybe how money's being spent, or how stuff is structured. So I thought I'd bring on the, you know, financial wizard, as you can see on the screen right below me. And then also our um our uh, how now how would I describe you? You want you wanna you wanna help me out here? Our uh, devil's advocate. <laughs> our devil's advocate. The guy <laughs> the guy is gonna find some reason just to disagree with you. So Yeah. Let's make let's make it a fun one, guys. So just to start off, we are going to be discussing the managers. Well, actually, no, I was gonna go managers first, but let's switch it up. We're gonna do uh, starting off with how to properly define a strong starting eleven. So we're gonna start from the whole club structure, from starting eleven all the way up to the uh, owners of a football club, right? So if we're gonna talk about a strong starting eleven, what are some of the few things that we can? Uh, say makes it up um i mean if you're asking me a strong starting 11 um the individually all the players on the pitch kind of have to be the best at what they're assigned to do by the coach but the other aspect to that is they all actually have to be able to like play together well you know like gotta be able to have chemistry on the field with Mm -hmm. one another so i think it's both individually each player being the best at what they do but also at the same time trying to have the right chemistry with every single player it's like when you do your pro clubs thing you want all the lines to be green right like that's the idea <laughs> yes exactly. i mean that, that's literally what it is it's called I, chemistry yeah yeah i mean it's the best way to explain it i think you mean uh, ultimate team if we're talking about chemistry whatever it was yeah <laughs> ultimate team, you're right you're right. I, I got you know. Well, I got to yeah. be here. We're 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 a strong, independent organization. We can't be making mistakes. You know. You're right. Absolutely right. <laughs> fact check me. Make sure to always fact check me. For sure. For sure. Yuli, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, I, I say you know one word now. It's that chemistry. That's the most important thing to me. You know, before I look at actual technical ability on the field, I'm looking at how do the players gel together. It's all about that mentality. Can I anticipate where you're going to be? What space you're going to occupy? What path? What path should I play? Uh, I think it's all about the mentality and and the chemistry. Uh, that's that's the first place I start with uh, with how I'm going to build a good starting eleven. Yeah, those are valid Sorry. points here. I mean, it leans into the thing that we always talk about with players: how they can always be the best player in the world, but if they have the better mindset and the stronger mental capabilities. It can really put them up there within the team. Oh yeah, yeah I mean, so, uh, I'm just gonna cut you off. Sorry. Um, I mean, Go like ahead. look at Ajax a couple of years ago in their Champions League run to the semis. It's like, oh, like yeah, it was Bro, Ajax. Like, that whatever. Team, but that I, that was all chemistry. But like, like dude, that's really the funny thing is though, it's so crazy. And if even you, now, like today, they're playing amazing football. Just just a little like side tidbit for every all the viewers and the listeners. So far, I think that Ajax team has been mentioned within all four episodes of Match Week so far. Dude, they're so they were so good, dude. Like 
I know, I know. They it were was knocking so... out big names everywhere. I, I, I'm, I'm still fathomed by the fact that somehow Tottenham Hotspur knocked him out of the Champions League. It still makes no sense to me. So, so if I if I may add some personal bias here and, and answer this question truthfully and less philosophically, if that's even a word, <laughs> and I said that correctly, um, I think a starting XI starts at its midfield. Uh, and that may come to the dismay of many listeners here or, you know, to, to the tune of many who, who play the midfield position. But I truly believe that a starting XI is defined by its, by its midfield. Can they control the tempo of the game? Um, and can they control possession of the ball? Uh, and, and so, in my opinion, the crux of the team begins with my midfield. Uh, and then I'm going to build my philosophy ar- around that. Yeah, I don't blame you. There's a, been a lot of teams in the past where their midfield has been their strongest part. But then sort of to counter arguments, it's like for every team, it's always different. It's either the the tip of the trident with attackers, you know, or it's that solid defensive base that's just helped keep teams together. So at the end of the day, it all depends going into our next topic of how a manager runs the team, right? Sort of just a, you know, nice little cheeky transition. Um, we're sort of just going to go over I- like... What does the what does the real manager actually the role it plays in the club and how does he really affect that starting eleven right? I mean, if you really want like the right answer on that, you should ask Ole. Just throwing that out there. The the United podcast was last <laughs> week. Now. We've, we've already I, we've already done sure. enough discussion oh. on Manchester United. I think we can leave them for now. I I did a whole entire Manchester United analysis last week. You guys want to hear me talk about them by all means go there but <laughs> new topic boys i mean on. dude that, that that was just a little cheap shot i had to throw in there yeah okay thank you vince all right <clears throat> I'm, good, I'm good i'm good all right that's fair um i mean the manager's pretty much just as important mm-hmm. as anyone playing the game at the any of the 11 players on the field at any given moment the manager's pretty much except in like byron's case the my the manager's like the 12th player right right like that's really like what it should come down to as and man, just like be able to like lead, you know what I mean? It's like I'm always gonna bring up underdogs when it comes to things like this because like for like the starting eleven, like look at Leicester a couple years ago, like that didn't that was the same thing. Like that was that was all the manager, right? That was all the manager. Yeah. I mean, he had a great season, like Ole last season. Ole did great for what he had. But I think like, I think if, lose, if we're going players keep, lose faith, and that's what happens. I think if we're also going to tap into that Ole thing, um, I think the league was way different last year, and I just also think the team was way different Very last true. year. Because if you look at United this season, I I talked about this last week, but I'll, I'll hit it at the I'll hit the nail again I'm in the coffin. <laughs> I'll hit the nail in the coffin again. It's a Ronaldo centered team, so the team's going to perform way yeah. differently with certain players. You know this with Juventus, yeah. right? When you play. When you play with Ronaldo, Ronaldo was everything. You like so. For example, with United, Bruno was affected heavily by that. So then now it's just a whole different level of playing level of playing styles that we're dealing with in a whole different field we're playing in now. It's a different pitch. It's a different ball game. You know. No, definitely. definitely. Well, well, what I'll say, Nehat, is is Bayern's coach is definitely not the twelfth man. Maybe the thirteenth man in Germany. I, the twelfth man is always the Bayern's fan. Case, I said in Bayern's case. Yeah. The manager isn't the twelfth player. Yeah, was, so so in Germany, the twelfth man is always the fan because you yeah, know we've right. got the strongest fan group. I stand by that. Um, but in my opinion, one thing that is essential in a manager, you know, the obvious aside, you know, have to be able to, you know, bring the best out of a player, help develop their youth, etc. I think what defines a good manager is how to manage egos. Because today, you know, think about if you're a manager on Real Madrid and you've got a starting XI that's as strong as your 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 bench as well. Um, so, you know, you need to be able to bring in star players, not only for the appeal of the fans, but for the ability to be able to compete on multiple competitions. And how do you comfortably sit someone who can easily start elsewhere? Uh, so I think that's an essential skill of a manager in today's uh, day and game. Game, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. most most definitely. Um, that, but that also just goes into other roles of a manager, right? Because it's a the guy who can manage a team, right? Who's the man manager gets everyone together, but also in those tough times in a game when you've been working on something for so long in the training sessions and it's just not clicking to be able to make those changes of like, hey guys, we're gonna do this instead, right? 
sort of like analyzing the game, being like, hey, you know what? This isn't working. We're going to switch to this. I need X, Y, and Z to do this. And in order for that to happen, that man, that management comes in for the player to believe like, okay, if the manager wants me to do this, I believe that it's the right thing to do. Uh, another, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but one other essential skill in my humble opinion on, on a manager is you need to be able to motivate your players. Simply the word motivation. Day, day and, in, day out too. And, and my example there is is not in defeat because I think it's easiest to be motivated in defeat. But when in triumph, how do you remain motivated? And, and my analogy there is, you know, picture Barcelona winning the treble or Bayern Munich winning the treble or in their historic seasons winning the sextuple. How do you stay motivated once you've won and achieved everything there is to win or achieve? And that's that's what differentiates, you know, a high quality manager and a generational manager who's going to build a dynasty. How do I motivate my players to come in and repeat the success of last year? Yep, yeah, I mean, most definitely. You're not wrong about in that case at all. No. But then here's the thing, right? When we're talking about the manager, um, I think the one role that gets forgotten a lot of the times is the role they play within the youth academy, right? So. As we know, a lot with with certain clubs like uh, United, um, an Ajax, or a Barcelona, even Bayern right now are having a little youth renaissance coming on. Um, we see that the youth academy can be a direct link into the first team. And the manager being able to manage that too, not as in-depth, right? But he brings his own coaching staff for it, sets up plans and roles. So how do we how do we see that? as a sort of a big undertaking in itself for a lot of managers. I mean, the biggest thing with like youth Academy stuff, right. Is all of these players are there for like a reason, right. They like at, for their age group, they're like, I just don't know other way to put it, but like pros, right. For their like age, right. Like that's the entire idea of like being in such a good youth Academy. So you see these potential stars, pretty much almost every single one of them, is a potential star at that young age, right? And then it's, I think, for the same thing with the youth coaches, like the manager, like Yuli said before, with the motivation, right? Keeping the youth players motivated, right? Because it is that direct link into the first team. So you have to worry about how all these kids are growing into their own player because they're not even, they don't know, like, their position yet. Like, they're good at it, but they don't, like, they haven't found, like, the love for it. And like, I don't know if I'm like saying that correctly, but like they could end up falling in love with a different position, right? That they're just, for whatever reason, naturally better at. Like how Lewandowski was a defender for Poland, right? If I'm not mistaken at first. And then he goes on to be one of the best strikers like in the world. You know what I mean? So I think that's another thing coaches constantly have to look for as well. It's pretty much like managing your own team at that point. Yeah, yeah most, and, and, most definitely. I I mean, you just said you've you've explained it like very thoroughly. Couldn't disagree there. Yeah, and, and sorry, Ardi. Um, in my opinion, uh, any club who seeks longevity and and success in the long term, uh, the 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 most important thing uh, in that plan is is your youth development. You know, you can always look at the transfer market, but when you can't predict. You know, is COVID going to happen? Uh, are we going to perform well and and have a lot of winnings to to be competitive in terms of financial fair play in the marketplace? Uh, is the player we want going to be available that year? You know, you can't time that stuff. Uh, what you can time is is investing in your youth development. Uh, so I think what's especially important, not just at the coach level, but the entire club organization level is to invest in your youth and, and that's what's going to give you longevity and success um and and, and in terms of a manager knowing when it's time to pass the baton you know it's not easy to be a, a louis von hall and let's bring in muller from the academy and, and give him a start 
or Bastian Schweinsteiger, and and that's just a Bayern example. But what about Pep Guardiola coming into a team with you know Samueletto and and Zlatan Ibrahimovic and having to make the decision that you know we should let them go, let the likes of Ronaldinho go, so we can bring in a Xavi and Iniesta and a, and a Lionel Messi. So having the courage and in the understanding of knowing you know when it's time to to kind of pass the baton, it's is also essential in, in the prolongation of your youth academy. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, who could disagree with that, right? It's like I remember a lot of people at that at that time at Barcelona, it's a it's a phenomenal, outstanding team. And you have the likes of Thierry Henry, Ronaldinho, Eto, Zlatan, all within that era of that transition and just Flipping, uh, flip, flipping, just flipping that team really. They did a whole like sort of rebuild on its own when it wasn't necessarily needed. It's just they decided that we're in for the long run and we still have that talent. And, and one other thing I'll add is essential. And, and again, in terms of an organization, is you never try to lose your identity. And and as a Bayern fan, I will biasly use Bayern as an example, but. Uh, Bayern's goal is always to maintain a core German contingent. You know, we want this, the majority of our starting 11 to be German uh, nationals who are representing the German national team. And, and likewise in Spain, you know, the large majority of their team comes from the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, who, you know, all have great academies in and of themselves. La Masia is one of the best in the world. Uh, so as a team, being able to understand, hey, you know, in a given year, I may have made some great signings, but I've diluted uh, the, the the concentration of, you know, my core. And whether that's German or, or Spaniard, uh, it's just an example, but making sure I continue to to allow my reserves, my my development academies to have the opportunity to break into the first team and and build the identity of my team, I think is is really essential. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, another person that like sort of looks onto this role and, and to the team and seeing how our youth develops and where some of them even go is the is the sporting director or the or the director of football at a lot of these clubs and. A lot of times, you know, the supporters and the fans they don't really understand how the director of football operates. They don't see exactly what he does for the teams, right? So could you guys sort of like help me explain this to the people, right? Like what should they know? What shouldn't they know? Well, the director of football is pretty much kind of what the manager doesn't do, right? Things that are quote unquote outside of the manager's like control. So that can go anywhere from recruiting to scouting to contract negotiations, like all things kind of like that is what the director of football is responsible for finding the staff to recruit. It's like when you're kind of like a coach, like you're playing the FIFA career thing, you're doing like a coach, you're kind of like the director of football, as in you're the one getting scouts, you're the one doing contract negotiations, like kind of like all those things, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's the thing, right? It's like the best way to sometimes sort of sum it up too is that basically when the manager makes a shopping list of who he wants, he hands it to this guy, right? He's like, find me yeah. this player or the player that resembles him exactly to help fix what I need yeah. for this team. And then he goes out there. He he first checks the youth academy and he goes and delegates with the clubs and he helps sort of set the foundations for the club, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they have to find that perfectly, um, you know, in, in the three characteristics he mentioned, you know, development, scouting, negotiations, those are all vital uh, skills for a, a director of football to have. You know, your your coach is responsible for, for the technicals, you know, analyzing your next opponent. What are the weaknesses in their game? What technical approach will give us the advantage? How can I motivate my players, et cetera? They're involved in the in the you know very zoomed in scope of the game. The director of football more manages the operations. You know, in terms of contract negotiations, how can I keep people happy with their salaries while also keeping our club's financial goals in mind? You know, if I if I give too much leeway to one player in terms of wages, what happens the next time we sign a star player? You know, they have to consider. Not, not the technicals of 
each game in in you know in every week, but holistically look at the season and the long term goals of the plan. And, and you know, fit their signings, their contract negotiations, and, and the academy, and all that in in its plans. So it's it's more of an operations role that's really important for the development of the club. Yeah, for sure. Because a lot of these times, like if we look at a Barcelona right now, right, this sort of like fell wayward where everybody's getting monster wages, mo- like monster transfers, um, players really not being <coughs> utilized properly. Um, the whole nine yards, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Barcelona is perfect. Exactly case. What it was. Yeah. <laughs> and the the they're the best worst case scenario of what happens to a club when things aren't done right. Like they're the best sample size yeah, yeah. to look at and see. Like, right. okay, wow, this is why we do X, Y, and Z, right? This is why sort of let's say for Liverpool, for example, they have a strict wage 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 structure where they sort of see like. Hey, you know, like a Sadio Mane and a Salah, one of them might leave this summer because we have to make sure that our wage bill doesn't get tampered with, you know? Which is like yeah. astronomical to some people because yeah. it's like they look at a Mo Salah or a Sane and they're like, yo, they deserve whatever they ask for. They're like one of the most like underpaid players in the Premier League in comparison to other players, you know? So it's a really, really difficult job and a difficult line to draw for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, People's obviously most, not even most, pretty much all of these players like love play the game because they love it, right? Like money's pretty much second to any of them. But, you know, it does play in definitely a factor when you go on to break your what first, most Salah's case, right? First, second season. I'm not really sure. He comes to the Prem. It's like, oh, okay. Like a couple games, he's like on a hot streak. Oh, okay. Like this is going to fall off, whatever. And he goes on to break the league goal record. Like his first, second season. Yep. You know what I mean? And like, how do you keep him, a humble man, loves the, plays because he loves the game, but one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world right now, like how do you keep him, how do you do him right with his salary? You know what I mean? Without ruining your wage, your wage bill as a yeah, club. Yeah, like for Salah's case, it's like, all right, he's in. He he has a contract until he's like twenty nine, thirty. So now when yes. they do this contract extension, it's like how much is he still going to be worth when he's like thirty one, thirty two, thirty three, thirty four? Right, like those yeah. four those four years. Is he still going to be that record breaking Sala, or is he going to be a portion of what he was? And in most cases, it's like a lot of clubs will take like a twelve to fifteen goal contribution oh, player, you know. But in this absolutely. case, it's way different. I mean, like. When you look at fifteen goal contributions, I immediately thought of Giroud, right? Yeah. Like, like for, for whatever sure. reason, he was the first player to come to my mind. He will get like you need you need a goal, whatever it is. He will pr- most likely get it for you in the whatever almost impossible way for whatever reason. Yeah. His scorpion kicks like it just out of nowhere. That things. scorpion kick he, though, he it was so it, it was like it was offsides. great offsides. Yeah, offsides. But also, what sucked is that in the same in the same match day. Henrik Mkhitaryan, when he used to play for Man United, scores a scorpion kick, right? Where it's like, no, but Mkhitaryan wasn't offside, though. So. so when yeah, yeah, well, you're bugging, you're bugging. No, no, no. That's but not Mk- gonna do that. Mkhitaryan, when he scored his, right, it wasn't as clean as Giroud's, but still effective and looked nice. And Giroud, like, he just does his, but his is like more clinical and clean, and he just like bags it no problem, right? Like, so I understand exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. He just gets the job done. You know, you can get. You know, he's gonna score that 15 goals. Is what I'm saying. Or, like, even he'll get, like, those seven goals and, like, those, like, what, like, eight assists? Like, he'll get seven goals and yeah, assists it, for the 15. He'll create, he'll create the 15 goals. Like, mm-hmm. just, you just know it's going to get done. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think it was just breaking down perfectly, you know? Manager of football, I mean, the director of football, you know, he, uh, operational plans, all him. Uh, scouting recruitment falls into this guy. And then also the weight structure and contract negotiations. It's, a big, big thing, but then a lot of the stuff he has to do has to get approved by the the the, the board, you know, like the, the the club's board, the people who are like there in the office who we we sort of you know like ridicule most of the time. And how do we like how do we explain them, right? Because like they they are crucial to the club, but we're like we're always like, eh. you know, like we look at them like, eh. you know, what I'm saying. 
I mean, as fans, that's all the board of directors is the business, right? Like that's, they're the business. They're the, what's going on, on and off the pitch. How do we look good as a brand? You know, how do we keep sales up? How do we get fans up? How do we get like, how do we keep all this revenue, right? That we have, like, how do we going to make more revenue next year? Like, that's all their thing. And like to us as fans, we're like, nah, I just want to watch soccer. Like, you know what I mean? We're not thinking about it. Most people aren't thinking about it. Like, what's going on behind the scenes all the time. Yep, for sure. Yeah, and, and just to, to add to what Nayat said, I agree. You know, a uh, board is interested in, in the club's operations and in, in their, their their core operations. Um, you know, uh, like Nayat said, how do I expand my market share? You know, I'm successful right now in, you know, Europe, but how do I expand my market share in, the North, in North America, Latin America, et cetera? to be able to build my revenue when I have excess revenue, what am I doing with it? Am I using it to make a, a massive star acquisition? You know, who's going to require board approval because the cash outlay is so massive that it warrants that, or am I going to turn that into my, you know, academy and, you know, alternatively, you know, in terms of deal sponsorships, who do I want to sponsor with, you know, each club, you know, sure, they might have some, you know, small sponsors and several of those, but each club has, you know, a few large sponsors, if not one, you know, which club am I actually going to, which, which company am I going to put on the front of my jersey? You know, those are decisions that, you know, the board is putting together. Who do we line with in terms of vision and mission? And, and again, financially, who is going to compensate us the best with regards to those targets in mind as well. Um, so in terms of money and, and operations and longevity, that's what your board plays in. And, and then in the day-to-day operations, they're the ones who are going to approve, you know, who's going to be your supporting director and have your, you know, transfer targets in mind, or who's going to be your coach and develop the technical, technical, you know, acumen of your team. So uh, they're essentially important in the operations of a club. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I think the best example of, like, what happens when a board goes wrong is Newcastle, right? If we look at Newcastle right now, it's like, yes, they finally got the new owners. Yes, they finally got everything new coming through. But it's like, yeah, like, the board got some stuff through, sales done. But, like, they've appointed a manager, but they don't have the, like chief director of football like they don't have a, a football like a director of operation like they don't they're missing on so much structure right now it's like they only have like the board and the manager they have <laughs> i'm bugged out <laughs> for, for those of you who are listening um Nat, nat's room just went dark i, I think there might be i like you just imagine a power outage but yeah, he's still I, on the call close. I had to close my closet, dude. I think there's a ghost in there or something. Oh, spooky. Fuck that. Oh, man. That language. Um, so, if, I mean, if you want, I can give you a second to turn the lights back on. No, that is quite all right. I think I'll be all yeah, right. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, that's yeah, ready, <laughs> ready for bed. He's ready for bed. No, 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 no. Because I'm going to have to go across my bed. And, no offense. I mean, you guys saw before the show started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't. Yeah, we, we, we just. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's right. If you, if, if you actually, you know what? How about this? We can get back onto our topic because they have to go Perfect. across to more to more issues of why, like for example, Newcastle is this like ideal discussion, and how we're sort of uh, how we sort of just have to evaluate and see that yes, like. Newcastle now have like millions of dollars, right? They now have this way to go, way to fund, but they're still missing this big structure. So they brought in a guy like Eddie Howe, but what's the plan? Yeah, like there's there's no real plan there. It's like it's quick, reactive decisions instead of proactive decisions. And like, would you guys I'm- agree with me that um like a board has to be like proactive? They can't be reactive. They have to have a plan in place. And they have to get stuff like through and done. No, absolutely. I mean, that's that's establishing a goal for you and your club, and that's pretty much what it is. If you don't have agreements, majorities, a goal of where you want to go and where you want to be in not even next year, five years, ten years, fifteen years, these are all 
things that have to be discussed like very constantly you know what i mean and if you don't have that amongst your board that's just an issue just straight up it's just like very straightforward like yeah this is a problem yeah it's very straightforward like there's like no can't, like there's no beating like around the bush it's like 50 50 splits yeah in board meetings you know what i mean it's not like one guy wants to do one thing another guy wants to do another thing it's like yeah you can come talk and vote like realistically someone has to like there Ooh, has to be yeah, something. someone has to do the task like someone has to yeah, be there someone, for it someone has to make a decision on which way we're going and how it's going to play into our long future as a club mm-hmm. uh yuli how are we feeling right now what are we thinking no i i i honestly agree with Nate. i honestly he, he hit all the nails right on the hammer the hammer on the nails <laughs> uh, so uh, for, for, for the audience who's wondering we sadly had to record this later at night so we are a bit loopy um so some of us are tired some of us have had a lot of fun tonight so we're here to pump out a great episode for you uh so you know the boards you know it's they're like they're basically governing the club responsible um they exercise all the powers but there's one person that leads it and it's the club president. Now, before we talk about the club president, we have to take a quick break from a word from our sponsor. Hello, guys. How are we doing today? I'm sorry. I know I had to stop the podcast and give you guys an ad read. Ugh, already stop it. Look, I have something very important to tell you about, okay? We are sponsored by ITA Sports. Yes, that's right, ITA Sports. Now, you guys are wondering, what's an ITA Sports? What do they offer for you? Well... They're a local business uh, based out of Booton, New Jersey, where they're on Booton Main Street, if you guys even want to check them out. And what they are is a place where you can either get some cool, uh, different apparel than your like average Adidas or Nike, Under Armour, Puma, that jazz. And they go more with like the Orejas, the Yomas, the Hummel. And how can we forget the Umbro? Guys, they have way more to offer than I can even list off. All you have to do is go to itasportshop.com. That's itasportshop.com. I-T-A-S-P-O-R-T-S-H-O-P.com. And if you're a team or a business, local business, any team, they actually do wholesale apparel orders for you. As you can see on screen if you're viewing, but if you're listening, I'll describe it even better. They make apparel that is best and fitting for you, that is comfortable, and even so, sometimes the price is better than what you'll get from actually trying to get an Adidas or a Nike or anyone else. And all you have to do is just go to itasportshop.com. And now, guys, hey, you know, in the future, they might have some promos or some more stuff for us to give away and work with. But we have to see how we do this episode for the ad. So please go check it out. Go see it because they have really cool stuff to offer. I'll see you guys later. Bye. And we are back from our short, quick break. Yes, have you guys heard the ad read? ITA is back again. They're here to strike. I know it, they're a great organization. We love them for sponsoring. I just want to say thank you, and let's continue on. So, boys, club presidents, how do we feel about them? Um, they're they have a majority in what goes on, a majority say, and like what goes on in the club. They they're the ones who talk to the club owners about what we're doing with our brand, things like that. They're pretty much the face of any decision the club makes which is honestly one of the most intimidating intimidating things I can think of to be able to do. I would say who who we consider like one of the most like notable club presidents out there. I would say it's uh Florentino Perez. Yes, no, maybe so. Definitely one of the most notable ones for sure. Yeah, cuz he's like the guy who's like he's like the Don John of like soccer, right? He tries to be like Mr. Big Man, ties with UEFA, stuff like that. Um and we Absolutely. sort of see how like even though, like, there's a director of football and the board, he really does have, like, final say for what happens, you know? Of course. Of course. Like, what, he, what, I'll, what I'll say is, you know, uh, the president is kind of the bridge between the board of directors and, and the more day-to-day operations of the club, the director, the coach. Uh, so they have to bridge the two, you know, be able to commute, communicate what the board says to the players and vice versa. So... You know, they, they have to please two parties, so they are essential in their role. 
And in Audi, I didn't think of it, but you're right. I 100% agree. You know, Perez is probably a perfect example of uh, of the most notable president. Yeah, because he's like the face of it. He'll take it on the chin. He'll be like, yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, These are our players. Up. Like, you, you, there's nothing you could do about it. Like, he's the most, like, ego trip club president you'll ever you'll ever see, right? And then I, I hate harping back to this, but if we look at Barcelona's club presidents recently, it's like, they've noticed issues that arise with teams and they just think like pump money. Oh, we don't have it. Pump it, pump it, pump it, do whatever we got to do. Uh, we'll violate, we'll violate the rules. We don't care. And they're sort of like the ones who make those kind of decisions, right? Because there's people who they have on their staff to sort of analyze stuff and be like, Hey, this might not be the right idea, but they can go against it. Right. It's like, it's like having the president of a nation and then having its cabinet members, right? The cabinets, the board, and then the club president is the president of that nation, right? At, at the end of the day, they do get, like, final say for a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they've, yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be the president, you know what I mean, of the club if it wasn't for any other reason than that. And the one thing I've noticed interestingly is that a lot of clubs will, like, vote in the president or, like, they'll have, like, long tenure vote-ins. So, like, a Fiorentino Perez, I'm not exactly sure about uh, about Real Madrid's system. But I do know that a lot of La Liga clubs, they do it by either an annual or biannual vote for uh, for uh, yeah. uh, club presidents. And as we all know, Paris has been there for how long now? Like, at least, at least a decade, right? Like, I remember him for, back. For as long and, as I've been actually watching soccer. I, I know, right? Like, back, <laughs> back to that, like, remember. back from, like, what was it? When, like, Ozil first went to Real. That's, like, my earliest memory of him I could think of. Used. Yeah, I forgot yep. that was a thing. <laughs> I, I know, was right? How was that Real? That's ah, man. Talk about the staggering difference between a team of oh then my and now. God, dude. It's just, it's. I don't know what it was about watching that last generation of players. Right, it was something about watching Drogba, Lampard, Schweinsteiger, like all of them play. I th- that just felt so much better. I know. About, the, like, the, watching the thing the is, I think that like we had them like so like idolized and like sort of like on a pedestal. So, right- so rightfully so. Like- yeah, because like we understand, right? Like we were, we started watching everything from a young age. So from a younger yeah. age, when you see these type of performances from these older players, we put them on the pedestal. Whereas like these players that we saw come up, we sort of grew up with them. Like, we sort of grew up with, like, their playing style, so we always had them as, yeah. like, the thought of, like, oh, they were just that that guy, whereas, like, the kids younger than us, they're going to see that, and they'll be like, wow, like, idolize, right? Like, it's crazy to think yeah. how, like, yeah, how, how how some kids can idolize a Vincent company, right? Because, like, they think of him as, yeah. like, a class center back, whereas, like, us, we would idolize more of, like, a Collier. Maguire. Don't I. I, I would idolize company as a class center back. Listen, yeah. I, oh, know, yeah, absolutely. Okay, hold on. The guy's pure class, no, but no, no I, we, I agree with both of you. I, you know, Love you both, but we're not we're not skipping over that little dig he tried just doing, right? I, if you guys actually, if you guys were, if you guys actually listened to last week's podcast, I was making the argument that like, we should just sell Harry Maguire. So oh, that's where yeah. I stand. I, dude, I will just continue to take these stabs at you. Just because it's just so like Man United for whatever reason has just made it so easy to make fun of, and like it's beating up a dead horse from last week's podcast. Ten years, it happens. You know, like I I get it. Like it's just beating a dead horse from the podcast, but like it's just they make it so easy themselves. Man, I'm I'm gonna have to take down the scarf soon because it's gonna be 21 what? times. That's right. Bias coming in, we'll win the league. I don't care. Anyways. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. nice. And that wouldn't be out of 100 bucks, but that's a different story. Anyways. So, as we see, a lot of... Lose the league. So, I... I yeah, he, bro, AC Milan might win it. I can't wait. Dude, I can't remember wait. when, when Manchester United played Nani at left back? Bro, that oh, was, dude, we that was Ferguson. No, no, we, can't, uh, that was, we can't get into this. Ferguson did some this. crazy things with Manchester United. It was it was it was like mind blowing. I was so I was talking to Kasim like last week and I was looking at like Man United's like just like record. Sir Alex Ferguson, I don't know when he started, but like I'm looking at it and it's like 
seventh, sixth, fifth. Oh, yeah, like 1985, 1986. First party's getting like sixth, fourth, you know what I mean? And then you just go on this string of first first second first 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 second second first and it's just like insane like the record that man held when i was actually looking at it like i didn't process it it's before, mind-blowing but i was like oh my god and then you immediately the season he leaves seventh and i started dying well all i'll I, say is you know I, i'm not a united fan and you know i missed the days where they were at the top because all my best friends are united fans but um, what I'll say is, even in his last few seasons, Ferguson, the cracks were there. The, yeah. the to 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 show you, you know, I remember that season very well. You know, Robin Van Persie and Wayne Rooney always bailed United out in Fergie time. Uh, but the cracks were there. You know, their defense wasn't solid. They were conceding a lot of goals, and it was a matter of hey. When you no longer have two of the most, you know, uh, star players of our generation leading the the front of your attack, then what, you know? Um, and that's essentially what happened. You know, he was able to to get, for lack of better words, bailed out by the the genius of Wayne Rooney and and Robin Van Persie in his last few seasons. And when he was gone, the the cracks in his foundation, the defense, the midfield, uh, really showed. Yeah, because I think I think United it like. Even though I hate talking about them all the time, because we like I did a whole feature length, and you know I don't want to like keep going over sure. it, but they 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 sort of like they are what this topic is, right? It's how a club should be ran, and Sir Alex, the manager, just shows how much power a manager has, covered that cracks for the longest time. It wasn't just those like last two seasons, Yuli. It was I would say like five years. Of like just constantly like oh we'll just pave this over pave this over like make sure the owners will look bad make sure the club's still making money like things like this, and like Sir Alex Ferguson is sort of like what what we're about to go into our next topic. It's the owner's favorite manager. He'll get you the results and not complain about the ownership whatsoever. And as we've seen in recent times, what football fans have high expectations for an owner of a football club, and just for sort of someone from the outside looking in wants to know what exactly are those expectations? Um, I mean, if you own the club, you have, you're owning it because this is something you love, right? You, you care for this. It's like, you're, you're like, it's like your child. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's like kind of what it means to be a club owner. You want to see this thing grow into something so successful, right? And like, how do you do these things? You have to, a ensure profits and b you have to be able to have the necessary funds as club owners to make them operate on such an elite level for like so long because uh-huh. um let's, i'm trying to think of the best way to explain it because if you look at the comparative owners right let's look at chelsea's roman abramovich man loves yeah. a club all he wants to do is make sure that club's playing great, making him like yeah. making him money is a second priority. The club winning is the first priority. And right. as we can see, it's like we we want we want that to be the priority, right? We want to say, like, hey, the manager just loves the team. He wants everything for that team. But sadly, if we look at clubs like a Manchester United, a city, a Newcastle, a PSG, um yeah. even as of late, like Arsenal, like a lot of these like owners, they don't care. They just want their money, right? If we look at the United owners, they bought Manchester United in like 2001, 2002. And ever since then, like United's been making money, but those owners has been taking money from the club, right? So they've been, um, the way how they've been uh, just like taking out loans on the, on the, uh, on the ownership uh, ways, they just been uh, usurping money from the club, but yet still making it a very profitable club. It just shows how there's both ends. It's, it's a double-edged sword, right? There's the yeah, love sure. for the team, and but then there's the love for the money, right? There, it, it's it's really tough to sort of decipher and to break down for a lot of people. But I'll the say duality, is, man. You know, b- before even success on the pitch or success in terms of financials, the most important thing is, is to play attractive football. You know, uh, we call the game of football the beautiful game because it's attractive to watch. You know, fans don't want to tune in week in and week out if you're not playing attractive football. So I think at, at the the core ownership of the club, the number one 
essential factor is I want to play attractive football that's going to bring fans into my stadium, that's going to build a lifelong customer who's going to support this club in, in highs and in lows. Um, so before success on the pitch, before success in terms of revenue, my goal as the owner of a club is to build an identity. And that identity is I want to play you know, attractive uh, attacking football and some kind of level of game that's going to attract players and, and, and fans week in and week out. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, here's the thing, right? Because if we, if we talk about owner, right? Like we say it, they have to care about the team. They have to pump the necessary funds that it needs to operate, right? So if we look at, example, again, Roman Abramovich. As soon as Chelsea are sort of on a downturn, they need to... You know, like rejuvenate the team, fix things, have stuff updated. Roman's like, all right, uh, how much money am I dropping now? You know, like he doesn't care. Just ask for the number. And we see this even with like a Leicester, right? Leicester have developed themselves properly, rebuilt uh, themselves from the ground up uh, from lower leagues, built their money, rebuilt their, they have state-of-the-art training facilities now. Like it's more so than just like, like the money just doesn't just go to, getting players, right? I think that's a big misconception. That player goes to the whole, that money goes to the whole entire like, organization. Everything around, like, about it and around it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you want your players to be taken care of when they're on your training t- like facility. When they're on the training grounds, you need proper equipment nowadays. You need the proper staffing. You want the players, when they get out of their all day of training, right? And they're, there, they're hours and hours on end, that when they get in, back into the, like the recovery room, all the right equipment's there for them to for their muscles to be able to relax because like you know when things like that start to falter, the team starts to falter. Yeah, most definitely. I think the best example as we see a lot of this um like Saudi Qatari ownership, we noticed that a lot of them like to do this sports washing where it's like instead of people talking about the nation and their policies and what they do instead it's like oh look what they're doing for a team look out because of the money they're putting into this team how it helps the area and the two best examples of this is first manchester city where they got bought out by the saudi group and then now excuse me whereas now the the club and the city of manchester has been thriving you know Whereas the team has been nonstop top of the league, where the where now the uh, the the city they're located in has like a lot more of like charitable fundraising. You see a lot of like jobs being built, and we see this even now with Newcastle, with their with their new ownership group of uh, the uh, United Arab Emirates, where we see how now they've bought into that team to sort of for that sports watching and everything, right, Yuli? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you covered everything. Yeah. And just sort of like wrap this up. Uh, I just want to like just tie the bow on this like nice little gift of information with this one thing. Has money become too much for this sport? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, you you go first. You yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to kick this one off because I feel very passionately about this, especially as a Bayern supporter. But um, you know, I think money is is a very important topic in today's day and age. Um, you know, I I'm a strong advocate uh, of the 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 structure in the Bundesliga, the fifty plus one rule, the way the the TV revenue is split. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, all these clubs are businesses and, and whether your business is a sport like football or it's, it's medicine or it's manufacturing, every, every business is built with one goal in mind. And and that goal is to build, to, to produce a profit, to make revenue. Um, and, and, you know, so that, that, that's the foundation of every club. And if, for example, we, we split revenue differently in terms of, uh, you know, television revenue, advertisement, endorsements. You're giving a, an, an advantage to those clubs who get more share of that revenue. 
Um, when you allow, you know, a club to to be majority owned by a foreign investor who's going to pump millions, if not billions, of dollars into your club, it's going to affect the the game. It's going to affect your club's identity. So I think, in terms of integrity, maintaining uh, a level of competition, and you know, building success as opposed to buying it revenue is especially especially important. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, football in general has made the right strides towards that in terms of passing financial fair play in, you know, the last decade or so. I don't know exactly when it was passed. I just know it was Bayern's board who was instrumental in that. Um, and I guess the other, you know, main topic of today's time is in terms of uh, a salary cap, which, you know, might be a very sensitive topic, but you know, it's a it's a you know mechanism you see in in U.S. sports, an example in the NBA, and it's one that potentially may may uh, be involved in football one day. Um, you know, right now the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, PSG, they can attract the best players in the world, whether they're happy in their clubs or not they can still entice them to come uh, via paying them uh, absurdly higher wages. And, and so money is important. You know, sure. do we do we put a cap on salaries? Do we put a cap on how much you can spend on signing? Uh, I think it's uh, essential in allowing other clubs to develop, a, you know, an elite and competing team uh, and, you know, allow other players to develop. Yeah, for, yeah. for sure. Most definitely because, um, if we, you said it yourself, like a Barcelona and a Real, like they usually do this, but as we see now, they're crumbling. They're struggling to pay the wages now. They can't offload the players. They're not following league rules. So and even with like this all type of money being used, it's like financial fair play comes in as well. And we see how a lot of these clubs now, it's like the leagues aren't doing it, but the clubs are doing it themselves. They're making their own wage caps and wage structures because they know as soon as they hit a certain number and a certain point, they are just going to absolutely like crumble from beneath themselves. Right. And it, as we see it, like the transfers, there's too much money in the transfers, like players realistically, they shouldn't be, there shouldn't be like a $234 million transfer. Right guys. Like no player should realistically be worth that much to get from one club to another. And then we have wages. If we looked at China before they implemented a, a wage cap, Players were getting paid around eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand a week. Let's think about yeah. this for a second. A week, eight hundred thousand dollars. Oh, he might have just lagged. No, yeah, he might have lagged out for a second. Um, we're gonna give it. Um, a would you mind if I take a stab at this though, really quick? Yeah, no worries. Go ahead. We'll we'll keep it talking. We'll keep it going. So I know how you just brought up the um, players, right? he was saying you can entice all these players to come by just paying them absurd amount of money. And like, yeah, his discord just crashed. He just texted me. Yeah. Discord um, crashed. It just is that. Um, but when you go to look at a starting 11 of Manchester city, right. I'm just, I'm just going to put it right there. Most expensive team, a market value of $832,700,000. dollars and yeah, that's just what that... they were worth on the market. Like, that was literally just their market value. And no offense, it's like, that's the other, that was the other problem is, I forgot who, was it David Luiz who got sold for like that, $60 million dollars as defenders or whatever? Like, did the market just like got this huge inflation? Here's... And now you end up with like, how much, no, I'm just going to, like, this is just the simplest mm -hmm. example, right? How much did you guys pay for Harry Wood? Maguire, we overpaid. I think we paid eighty four million British pounds. So I think we paid around like eighty six, eighty seven million dollars. Yeah. So he's the most expensive defender in the world. Yeah. Right. And so unrightfully so, because I, like I, there's these I there's mean, these unrealistic unrealistic realistic taxes, right? It's like oh the British tax, homegrown tax. Oh, your transfer with a league, that tax that correct. clubs put on. Where it's ridiculous. And like your your point with David Luiz, if you look at a lot of sports analysts and uh uh a lot of sports analysts and uh financial accountants, they sort of look it over and they see that this transfer inflation didn't start with that 
234 million Neymar transfer, right? It actually started with that yeah. 84 with what, how much was David Luiz again? I don't know if it was 50 million or I I, was, I, I think something I, yeah, between he was 50 and 60. It was somewhere between 50 and 60. If I which was check. absurd as a defender. Like like dude, 60 million dollars at the time for a defender was insane to think about cuz at the time that's when Messi was like 100 million dollars, right? So if I'm not mistaken, am I right? Yeah. Messi was like 110, 120 million dollars somewhere somewhere. Well, Messi didn't so, Well, no one paid for Messi though. Messi was a free transfer. But I mean like his value. Oh yeah, his value Barcelona had him like yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was of value. Like he had a 100 I think it was 120 million dollar value. I probably a lot more. I'm just whatever. And like now it's like anybody's gonna take Messi over David Luiz, right? And yeah, you'd be stupid not to. So saying David Luiz is worth half of what Messi was at the time or whatever it was is just mind boggling. Because I, I just so now it's like that's stupid. Messi gets pumped up to mm-hmm. four hundred million dollars is market value, and no yeah. club can afford that. So I just got the official number for us. It's $54.45 million David Luiz left for. And that was that yeah. domino that sort of What what year what year was that? That was 2013, 2014. Yeah, July 1st, 2014. Um, and then he so left to go back to Chelsea uh 2016, August 30 August August 20 August 31st, 2016, and he left for $38.5 million. Here I have it. 20, 2014, Messi was worth one hundred thirty-two million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, uh, like what? Yeah, I know. And then we had we, have, we had Jack Grealish this this summer who just left for a hundred million. I know. Don't get me wrong; like a lot of these players are phenomenal, right? Like transfers make sense, but, players, but like really, a hundred fifteen. It was so crazy because like back in the day, I remember where really? everyone. Everyone talked about that, that Gareth Bale move, and how they're like, "Oh, that money! Wow, big money! That's crazy!" But it was only like what eighty million. Eighty million. And, and and think was, about, and it was literally worth every single, single dollar. Yeah, what they they won four Champions Leagues with Gareth Bale and that team. Like yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was worth literally every single. But also think about so much think about how crazy the the statement I just made was. He was only eighty million. Eighty million dollars. Think about that. Only as if like, oh, pff, nothing, right? But like, realistically, I think what was it? Eighty million for a Gareth Bale? Yeah, a guarantee. Yeah, no. That, anybody's anybody's throwing eighty million. Even Holland right now, people oh. are trying. People are trying to throw seventy million to Dortmund to get him because that's the yeah. bargain. Because because his because he has the release clause for like sixty million euros or some sort. But yeah. the way, but the number that Dorman would actually like to throw up is in the hundreds, like. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, like, absolutely. Because you know what? Someone's paying for it. But like, oh, Holland's only hundred million dollars right now. But realistically, the only That's people fine. who have that money is either one Are of the three prem clubs, clubs, correct? The PSG correct. and correct. Bayern, maybe. But Bayern would never I, spend that money. No, Bayern wouldn't spend that money. There's Bayern, Bayern likes to have their homegrown raised. Not well. They also they also they love they to like farm to the German. Bundesliga. They'll just they'll look at I mean, some other they, club they, there. They've, they've torn the poor league apart, but um, I really don't want to get into that. I mean, poor Yuli. He left. His his yeah. It crashed. To, I don't want. To, it's not going to be fun if I get into it and he can't even defend himself. I know, right? Because so he's, he's not going to get into it. But it was, fan, I know that was wrong. What Bayern did to that club, literally poaching players. Dortmund. It was I know. so sad, dude. It yeah. was literally so sad. But what can we when do? I think of like wages and stuff, like I look at like Juventus, right? How many of Juventus players that like? grew there and developed as their own made them name for themselves at Juventus. Juventus got them free transferred. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Juventus really like doesn't buy players. Like the They dropped that money for Ronaldo, but that's the uh the ball they got from you're Palermo. getting a hundred a hundred million dollars for Ronaldo. Yeah. It, I mean. Like 
it, like a hundred million for Ronaldo. Like really? Like who's not gonna buy him? Um, I thought it was sick because we as fans have great respect for Ronaldo. Yeah, there's the haters or whatever. You can't deny he's one of the best. Just, just one of the best. End but of statement. It was the biggest mistake Juventus and, could have made, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I don't. Dude, no, I don't think this, if this, if you're Juventus, this, this, you this are because a lot this team now it was going up, and then as I think Juventus Ronaldo. Fan, I think you, as I think Ronaldo Juventus, kept him here instead let me, of getting let me to the next level. Case in point, please. So, are you here? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. No worries. I'm listening. Um, there is not a single single fan of a club that when your club's in talking of buying Ronaldo for only a hundred million dollars, I don't give a shit who you are. Sorry for the language. I don't care who you are. You could be a Newcastle fan. Like it doesn't matter. Ronaldo's coming to your club. You're saying yes. It's literally stupid not to say yes. So my only thing with that is we went from a team being just so close to the league that yeah and at the time i was like wow we're like we need someone like ronaldo champions champions league after champions league after champions league of experience you know what i mean to give us that push yeah for sure and for whatever reason um you know we're not there at the club we don't see what goes in and out every day uh i know juve's faced a lot of injuries poor paulo Dybala and morata were out for a long time this season yeah this is really sad they're coming back but, you know, you don't see what goes in every day. Uh, chemistry never looked fantastic. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what, again, what was happening. But I'd be watching these games and it'd just be all these little things, you know, like a really mistimed pass. And, like, you know, I'd, I'd watch Ronaldo literally just, like, be you upset, know. Yeah. And, yeah, rightfully so. Don't get me wrong. Rightfully so. And I think... For whatever reason, maybe that demotivated players, making Ronaldo upset on the field, whatever it was. I don't know. It was just like their football like just wasn't this wasn't great. And you I, know, I, Ronaldo I being it, as good it, as he was bailing us out. I'm just gonna say he bailed us. He won us the league. Yeah. Like, I he won, us the he won you the league the first time around, but then when Inter came in with that star set of team, I think that's where QA should have been because they were on the cusp of being that where if that if that inter team didn't disband still have the same players and improved, they could be Champions League contenders and win the league again. But as we see again, ownership problems come in and sweep that away. Where ownership Don't get me wrong. Biggest Ronaldo fanboy is here. I think he's the best of all time. United legend. I'm so happy he's at United. But the issue you run in is like we see with a Bruno. A lot of your star players are going to have to succumb to the fact that Ronaldo's yeah, there. Absolutely. You're not that guy anymore. Like It's that meme. You're not that, You're guy, not pal. that guy, pal. Yeah. You're not that guy. I mean, just to sort of yeah, wrap it up, is the, the money in football, in ticket prices, I think is getting ridiculous in Europe now. From what I've been hearing, I know in America, yeah. we can get some decent priced ones for like the MLS, but... The, yeah, that's, absolutely. But I mean, it's yeah, the MLS. I know. Whatever. And then, but, uh, um, and then yeah, we, have, I mean, we have the money in football media. And ridiculous. I'm 50-50 so, oh I mean, because... Just look at Spain, dude. Just look at Spain. Because I... I I'm 50-50 because I sort of understand how, like, for example, a ESPN or a Sky Sports, as soon as they buy broadcasting rights to a league, they are automatically in the red because they have to rely on the views of that league to come in in order to make the money back from uh, from other stuff within their no, realm, no, of right? Course. That's, that, that's a business But thing. then on the other I hand, agree. but on, on the other hand, they step in too much with what Correct. money does to that actual media, what, right? What, what what money does to the game yeah. and that's involved. Correct. And that's it I think it's a problem. Because again, everyone's, you know, money's a sensitive subject for everyone. Money's personal to everyone. I get it, you know. But when you look at it from like the big picture, like we're not we don't have the million dollar, billion dollar checks to write. You know what I mean? We just watch the game because it's what we love. That's that's literally it. And to see money just become this constant talk in football is kind of getting draining because just it just is a problem. 
Yeah, because it comes to the point where it's like the solution is like, oh, like a player's not playing right, throw more money at the problem. It's like we're we're that's I think that's why like yeah, like or for example, like when we talked earlier about how like we see these players and we idolize and we ogle over them. I think it's because we've gotten so dumbed down to the idea that a lot of players are just replaceable. Whereas like back then we thought you can never replace a Drogba. You can never replace a Wayne Rooney. You can never replace a Sergio Aguero, a Thierry Henry. I actually saw even even the likes of like a John Terry, like no one ever thinks that or Frank Lampard. No, no. I saw a post earlier on Instagram earlier today. And it literally said, what is the scariest version of a player you can think of, right? And, you know, one of the things was, like, long sleeves, gloves, Thierry Henry, you know? You knew that game was just over. It didn't I don't matter. know, bro. That, that. It was, um, but now, but. Skin, skinhead Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I was about to say that. Like, that's yeah, scary. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I'm saying. Drogba, like you, when, it, when it came to the final stages of the championships, right? Of yeah, any tournament he was in, he just started turning up against, like, except against United. <clears throat> I'll take that. I'll take that. United. Take those. Take... I'm not a Chelsea fan, so it doesn't. But then against Bayern, uh, poor Yuli again can't defend himself. <laughs> Bayern, he, step, he steps up, but that's yeah. So um, sadly, just as messy, messy before the beard, Ronaldo with the noodle hair, like oh yeah, you saw those. Like, just, yeah, these are just different breeds of that player. They were just oh my. On a different level, even even like someone like a Del Piero, right? That like luscious hair, oh, they like yeah. slick back. You know, they're about like, yeah, I'm slicking this hair back, but I'm oh, gonna bang one right past that, you. you know? That is the guy made me fall in love with the sport. Oh, for me, it's Wayne Rooney. I remember walking in on TV, walking in the living room. My dad was watching the game, scored this beautiful free kick. And I was like, wow, that was... Oh, so really? Cool. He went to his free kick. I thought that'd be a pure low at that point. Or was that a little bit later? No, no. No, it was a little bit later. Yeah, no, no, you know what it was? I'm thinking of that AC Milan free kick Correct. he had. Correct. Wow. No, Del Piero scored this beautiful free kick. And I remember just sitting there watching. And I was like, that was so cool. I love this guy. And then he would do the celebration with his tongue out. And be like, I was yeah. like, wow, this guy's me, dude. Talk about talk about the original was up mean bro like was that he was the OG he yeah. created that for me yeah I think I think the best way to explain it was I was at my grandfather's house and you know us two as Albanians we know that our grandparents have the Albanian TV right so it's like me like at that time it was very difficult to get foreign soccer in the households yeah. so that was the only way that we could watch it and like myself I'm just sitting there in the living room I'm watching the in Manchester derby it's really intense. And then I see Paul Scholes picks up the ball from the middle, uh, knocks the ball wide to Nani. Nani crosses the ball in. Rooney leaps up for the most insane free kick and bangs it past. And you see him run to that corner, sort of stand oh, in yeah. the pose, and ah, the rest is history, man. It's crazy. Yeah, dude. It's crazy. It's crazy with that the 10 seconds of watching the accidentally walking into the living room. Yeah, right. that, I mean, that's what Yuli said it before. It's the beautiful game for a reason. Beautiful game, man. And Absolutely. on that note, I think if we look at the time, it's time to wrap it up. Guys, I just want to say thank you all for watching. If you stayed, please like, comment, subscribe, um, rate, give five stars, whatever platform you're listening to. Give it a big shout. I very much appreciate you. Now, thank you for coming. Um, this is also going to be a shout-out to Yuli. Uh, we lost him. <laughs> Poor technical difficulties. His computer crashed, and his everything just went totally wrong in two seconds that's in the chat guys but at the end of the day i always just love football guys watch it enjoy it hopefully you learned something from this and i will see you all next week